Amen. Let's go to the Lord and pray together this morning. Father, we come before you and we pray not to us, not to us, but to your name be glory. We pray, Father, that even as so often and so quickly we would lean in that way, that to us and to us would be the glory, but not this morning. May you help us, Father. May you help us even now that we would, it would be the prayer of our hearts and we would cry out to you and see, even as we have sung, that it really, and we are not really to be about us, but we are to be about you. So help us, as we turn to your word, to continue to lift up your name, and to your name be glory, to your name be glory, in those who are hearing and watching this, who know Christ, to those who are here and do not know Christ, to you be glory, O Lord. May you work and may you show us Christ, the one who is worthy of all glory, O Lord, and humble every one of us, because it is good to be humbled. And it is right that we would approach you, Father, humbly. And if there is any, and even even now, as I know, people are coming to hear this and thinking various things, feeling various things, may we all right now see the rightness and the right response of humbling ourselves before you, the living God. So we ask that you would help us and give us grace and indeed show us Christ through your word this morning we pray in Jesus name amen well over these last few weeks and I guess now past few months we have been walking through the gospel of John and we have now progressed through the well-known verse John 3:16 We saw that verse along with the surrounding verses last week. And so this morning, we are now turning then to our next verses within John and actually coming to the end of chapter 3. And so we will be in John chapter 3 this morning. But in this passage, we see this humbling point. Jesus must increase and we must decrease. My, right there. So much for us to see and behold this morning. And so if you would, take up your copy of God's Word and turn with me then to John chapter 3, verse 22. And like I said, I'll be reading until the end of the chapter, and so uh, till the end of uh, the chapter there, verse 36. And so may God bless the reading of His sufficient, sure, and necessary Word. After this, Jesus and his disciples went into the Judean countryside, and he remained there with them and was baptizing. John also was baptizing at Anon near Salim. 
because water was plentiful there, and people were coming and being baptized, for John had not yet been put in prison. Now discussion arose between some of John's disciples and a Jew over purification. And they came to John and said to him, Rabbi, he who was with you across the Jordan, to whom you bore witness, look, he is baptizing and all are going to him. And John answered, A person cannot receive even one thing unless it is given him from heaven. You yourselves bear witness that I said, I am not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. The one who has the bride is the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom, who stands and hears him, rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. He must increase, but I must decrease. He who comes from above is above all. He who is of the earth belongs to the earth and speaks in an earthly way. He who comes from heaven is above all. He bears witness to what he has seen and heard, yet no one receives his testimony. Whoever receives his testimony sets his seal to this, that God is true. For he whom God has sent utters the words of God, for he gives the Spirit without measure. The Father loves the Son and has given all things into his hand. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. So here, at the beginning of these verses, we find out that Jesus and his disciples, they are on the move. So Jesus and his disciples, they move on from Jerusalem uh, to go into the Judean countryside, likely uh, north of Jerusalem, since he'll be heading towards Galilee. There in the next chapter, as he even uh, as we see, he passes through Samaria. And so, here this is common among, in, in the Gospel of John. He often transitions with kind of these uh, statements of them moving on. And so, that's what John does here. But of particular notice here is that Jesus and John are both seen together here and even put side by side here um, for us to see. And so Jesus, he was baptizing and John, he was likely uh, north of Jesus in Samaria, baptizing as well. And if you look a bit ahead into the next chapter, so, uh, you know, John 4 Two, we see that and we find out that actually Jesus wasn't baptizing uh, himself. He wasn't personally baptizing people. It was actually his disciples who were going and baptizing people. And, and so what, what was this about? I mean, why were they going around baptizing? Well, uh, this was uh, very similar to why John was baptizing and so John, he came with a baptism of examination and repentance in light of the one who is coming or will come. But now that he has come, they are being baptized to examine themselves and repent in light of a kingdom that is here. 
And so they are going about doing this, and as the narrative continues, we find out that a discussion arises between John's disciples and a Jew over purification. And very quickly, as we're reading here, we find that John's disciples are, you know, they come to John, and they have a problem. So they have a a chip on their shoulders. They were seeing all of these people flock to Jesus, and really the response is jealousy. They're jealous at what they're seeing. And so John, of course, he, he gets what they're saying. He knows what they're after and what they mean by their question. But his response, man, it shows just how true you know, Jesus' words were of John. So he says in Matthew and he says in Luke, you know, I tell you, among those born of women, none is greater than John. I mean, his response is a godly response. He could have said and joined them and said, well, yeah, you're right. I mean, that, that's not okay. I mean, everyone's going to him, but we don't see John respond that way. Instead, John, he challenges them and he challenges us to remember for whom you live. So remember before whom you live. And so before we see this directly in our passage uh, here, let's remember the Bible's repeated emphasis again and again that you and I were made by and for God. And that's why you're alive. I mean, just consider it. Every single moment that you have, every breath that you take, everything that you do, every uh, year you increase in your age, uh, every place you go, whether to work or the grocery store at home, you are made by and for God. That's why you're alive. That's why you exist. Everything about you, about me, is for Him. Isaiah 43, 7, it says... Everyone who is called by my name, whom I created for my glory, whom I formed and made. We were made and created for his glory. Colossians 1, it says, For by him all things were created in heaven and in earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And, of course, that passage in Colossians is talking about the Son How he has made all things and all things were made through him and for him. And so we, even directly we could say this, we have been made by and for the Son. Yet, because of the fall and sin, we are persistently challenged to do what? To make life about us. And we really, you know, we aren't helped with that either, are we? I mean, persistently, what do we find? We find everywhere around us. I mean, whether you're just driving down the road uh, or you're uh, scrolling on your social media account, we find me-centered messages that are bombarding us day after day. Now, you know, I don't think... By me saying that, I'm not saying that we need to do away 
with our TVs, our you know, uh, streaming accounts that we have, our movies or social media accounts. And now I say that, but they may mean that for you. I mean, perhaps you're hearing this and you're saying, well, well great, you know. But it may mean that. So it may mean that for you, you have given yourself over to these things in a way that is not good. And so it could mean that. But that's not what I mean by that. And so it certainly means, though, for all of us that we need to be aware of the messages that are constantly being set before us. Compared to how often we come to church or how often we're in the Bible, these me-centered messages fill our lives. And so we need to be aware that they are explicitly me-centered. The messages are not, you are made by God and for God. They are not, glorify Him. But instead, they are, you be you. You know, live for yourself. You know, you do what you do. Do what makes you happy. I mean, how many times have you heard that phrase? I mean, even just from movies or TVs or books or whatever. I mean, do what makes you happy. Well, this me-centered, self-exalting message is in direct contrast with the Word of God. This is not what you were made for. You are not made to be made much of yourself, but to make much of God. And so, during this time of social distancing, you will not hear the call to go to God's Word and, and find this kind of response and answers from the world. And if you do, it's accidental. <laughs> it's despite them, not because of them. And so you must do that yourself. And right now is your opportunity to get back into the Word and remember for whom you live. You can either kind of sit back and say, well, I'm going to continue in surrounding myself with entertainment that just continually says all about me, or, or and or, I can get into the Word in such a time as this where we are having to isolate ourselves and distance ourselves from others. I mean, what an opportunity for us to get into the Word of God. And what an opportunity to get into the Word of God to remember before whom you live. And this is exactly then what John does remember. He remembers before whom he lives. And so we are called to as well. But remembering before whom we live does not come automatically. I mean, you don't and you won't fight against the me-centered messages of the world apart from going to the God-centered message of the Bible. Going to the Word. Letting it fill your mind and fill your heart and even challenge and confront the me-centered messages that continually come before you. And so, we must beware of several allurements that are temptations that are set before us here and in us uh, as well, which this passage challenges us here too. So for John's disciples, the first allurement 
is beware of the allure of popularity. Beware of the allure of popularity. And so during, during John's time here, the, the rabbis or the teachers, they, of course, you know, had disciples and uh, they, they would at times be somewhat uh, rivaling against each other and competing against each other to see who had the most disciples. And so they were vying for as many disciples as they could. At least some of the rabbis or teachers were doing that. And even more than that, though, during this time, uh, the disciples of these teachers and rabbis uh, themselves, they were very zealous about ensuring that their rabbi or teacher had a following. And if that following began to subside, they did not like that. So they were zealously after seeing their master's name lifted high. And so here, all these people are flocking to Jesus and taking away disciples from John. And so John's disciples had seen how popular John's ministry was and they had become, and how it had become so popular, uh, Jesus' ministry had become so popular. Um, and they didn't want John's ministry to be squelched, though. And you know, if, if we're not careful, we might tend to agree with them. I mean, we might say, you know, of course, you know, uh, that's what we need to, we need to make sure that, you know, we don't lose our influence, our impact. Of course, no one wants, you know, their business to go under. But that's, but that's not really the concern that is being addressed here. The concern is remembering before whom you live. So the question is, what is the motive behind your pursuits? So life is not about John. And life is not about how many disciples John has. Life is not about you and how much money, how much acclaim, how much success you have or I have. Not that I really have any. But the alluring message we hear is keep pursuing success. Keep pursuing what makes much of you. Don't let anyone get in the way of that. Not Even Jesus. Love yourself with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Is that what what we're told to do? And if if we're honest, that's the easy thing to do. I mean, the world says you need need to learn to love yourself. Well, I think, and and I, I think we see it from the scriptures You know, what does Jesus say? Love others as you love yourself because we have no problem loving ourselves. We love ourselves too much. And so it's not, it's not that, you know, we should just think, man, I need to figure out how to love myself more. Well, you're doing that already. But your primary goal is not to make much of you through what you do, but to make much of Christ. Martin Lloyd-Jones, he was a preacher, pastor, 1899 to 1981. He was all set to go into a successful, uh, you know, 
job as a physician into medicine. He received his MD in 1921, and everyone expected him to do great things in the field of medicine. People were saying, man, this guy is sharp. I mean, once he gets going, I mean, he's going to make a difference. Well, the scene was set for him, you know, to gain for himself fame and reputation and in the years to come. But then, you know what happened? He came to faith in Christ. And he felt the call of God to leave all that behind and to go into the ministry and to preach the word. And so he left all of that. He left behind medicine. And with that, the worldly claim that he would have gained from it. And God used him mightily for his glory. Well, this may be what you need to do today as well. Perhaps it may not be that the Lord is saying, hey, go into the ministry. He may be. Go be a missionary. Go and take the gospel to the ends of the earth. But I think for most of you, it is not that. The call is to make much of Christ where you are. The motive of our hearts is to be, let Christ be lifted up at my job, at my home, in my community, as I go to the grocery store or wherever I go, wherever I am. My life is centrally to be about lifting up the name of Christ. So across the board, how can you do that Not primarily for your glory, not at all for your glory, but for God's glory. Not that you would make much of yourself, but make much of Him. And so, that is one way we can be tempted. A second allurement here is beware of allure of making ministry about you. And if you don't like the word ministry here, you can substitute it for you know, church, uh, service, like serving. Uh, you can substitute it for living for Christ. So John, he begins his answer to his disciples in verse 27 by saying, A person cannot receive even one thing unless it is given him from heaven. So we, of course, we could apply that generally you know, across the board, which would be true. You know, everything you have is from God. You know, any knowledge you have, any skill you have, any ability you have, any house that you have, any life that you have, that has been given to you from God. But John, he means more than that. He had received his ministry from God. It did not belong to him And you, you may be gifted in a good many ways, you know. Perhaps you have knowledge of the Bible that just leaves people amazed at the things that you know. Or, or and or, you have, you know, years of experience in church life or in ministry. And so you know all these things. You know what what are good things to do in the church. You even work harder than anybody in the church and do more for the church than anybody else. Yet, you do all those things, you are all those things, yet it all can still be about you. 
You grow in knowledge so that you can be made much of. So people will say, wow, look at this guy. Look at this girl. She, uh, they know all these amazing things. I wish I knew as much as they do. Or you use your experience and influence. Well, you could use it for the glory of God. Now you use it to get your way. And you work hard. And you serve. And you're there every time the doors are open. Or you go and serve others in the church for a thousand other motives except the main one. It all really, truly is not about Christ. So how easily we can forget that all we have, the ministries that we've been given, that you've been given, they are not intended and they are not given in order to propel us forward, nor to lift up our name, but to lift up the name of Christ. Instead, John, he tells them plainly, even as he had done before. You know, he, he had already told them and they even acknowledged that he had said this, but he tells them plainly, I am not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. So in other words, John's ministry and the ministries that we've been given were always intended to point to Jesus. So we can be tempted to think that ministry is about us. And how quickly we fall into that one right there. I mean, how quickly our church is just dismantled by that one right there. People and families that say, well, this is not the way I want it to be. And where is the gospel? Where is the exaltation of Christ? A third allurement. Beware of the allure of making life about you. John turns next to give them an analogy. So, you know, during a wedding, you know, a bride and a bridegroom, they are center stage. And I think we we get that, you know, if you go to a wedding and you you see that's exactly what goes on, and it is the bridegroom. Uh, who has the bride. So that's commonsensical as well, right? The, the groom, uh, the, the bride belongs to the groom or will. Well, the bridegroom here, Jesus came to marry his bride, which I don't, I wouldn't say this is restricted only to Israel. This is bigger than that, John 1, 12. But to all who did receive him, he gave the right to become children of God. And so he's coming for his bride. And so John, as a friend of the bridegroom, is glad to see he's come. And that's right. I mean, if you're, if you're at a wedding, you see the groom come or the, the bride come, you're glad. And express, expressly here, this is the groom come. And there is some point here as well where uh, even a, an aspect of where it would be wrong, in this case, the friend here would be akin to a best man for the best man then to go and run off with the bride. I mean, that would be outrageous. Well, we, this is part of what John is setting forth here in this analogy. Along with that, he is also saying, you know, at this kind of ceremonies, uh, it wasn't just 
you know, the, kind of managing the whole ceremony. And so the best man is glad to see when the groom is made much of. So just how, just think then, how strange it would be if you attended a wedding and the best man made it his sole purpose for himself to be center stage. I mean, that's ridiculous. And it sounds ridiculous. I mean, this, the best man who's supposed to be the best man, he's making it all about himself. Well, the best man is not to be the center of attention. And that's what John is saying. He's not saying, I came to draw attention to me. I came to draw attention to him, the groomsman, the groom. Not the groomsman. And it sounds ridiculous to think of it like that, yet this is just what we do sometimes. It's not the wedding that we make about ourselves. We make life about ourselves. And maybe that you say, you know, it's all about Jesus, but it's really all about you. And as we've went through, you know, each one of these allurements here, are these not, you know, each temptations that we all have? I mean, we have them, of course, all to greater or lesser degrees. But I mean, how deeply do all of us need to hear this? Let Christ be at the center in your marriages. If there's issues going on there, let Christ be at the center. It's when He is not that our lives begin to come unraveled. Money may be part of the problem, but there's a bigger problem within your marriage than that. Christ is not being set forth as central. It may be that you have this problem with this person or that person. But is Christ central? And on we could go. I mean, you, you fill in the blank in your life. I mean, what area of your life is not, you know, kicking in gear as it ought to do? Or as you think it ought to do? Well, the answer, answer lies here. Christ is meant to be the center. So instead of following all these allurements, let us remember for whom we live and experience the bountiful joy there is in Christ. John, he rejoices here at hearing the bridegroom's voice and his joy is complete at seeing that he has fulfilled his ministry. I have done my job I have made much of Jesus Christ. He has directed others to Christ and he has done even as he was called to do. Just what an amazing thought for you, for me to come to the end of our days and say, I have done my job. I have made much of Jesus. And think of the joy that is there in thinking that and saying that. And so also, it isn't when we set our eyes on ourselves, on what we have, on our circumstances, that we find joy. But it is when our eyes are set upon Jesus. 
in the arms of my dear Savior, oh, there are 10,000 charms. And the ironic truth is, the more you make much of Christ, the more free you will be and the more joy you will have. It's, it's such an irony because we think that, that perhaps we need to, in order to get what we want, we have to chase after our, what we want and make much of ourselves, but that's not where the freedom lies. That's not where the joy overflows. But it overflows when we have Christ and when Christ is made much of. And the chains that we've been wearing and burdened with, they come off when He is exalted. When we deny ourselves and take up the cross and make much of Him. And so embrace your call to decrease. Embrace your call to decrease. Verse 30. He must increase, but I must decrease. So if you don't get anything else out of this sermon, get this point. You must decrease. I'll say it again. You, right there, wherever you are, in your seat, in the pew, up here at the pulpit, you must decrease. And he must increase. That is to be the tune of our days. And when you do, what joy, what love, what peace, what patience, what kindness, what goodness, what faithfulness, what gentleness, what self-control there is there. And so, as we move then to these final verses of chapter 3, the last verses of this chapter, they take this point that he must increase, I must decrease, and develop these last verses, develop them further. And so they reflect upon the point, Jesus is indeed above all. Put a stamp over those verses. That's what they are. He is greater than John. And so the logic of this, these last few verses, is plain enough. Jesus is from above while John is from the earth. So he who is from above is above all. So when Jesus speaks, he speaks all that the Father has told him. And so his testimony is above anyone else's. So, what are we called to do? What do we do with that? Well, we are called to listen and believe the Son. We, are, we see here three things along these lines. So first, when you listen to and believe in the Son, you are listening to and believing in God. When you listen to and believe in the Son, you are listening to and believing in God. Verse 33, it says, Whoever receives his testimony sets his seal to this, that God is True. So in other words, when you believe Jesus, you believe God. And the reverse is also true. If you don't believe Jesus, you don't believe God. And not just that. To disbelieve Jesus 
is to take this even one step further than that. You are calling God a liar. It isn't that we, as Christians, simply lift up Jesus as an opium for the soul. We're not just doing this to make ourselves feel better about ourselves. Yeah, you know, well, I mean, I don't know if it's really true after all. I mean, but I, I just do it because it makes me, gives me some hope, you know, gives me peace. Makes me feel better about myself. That, that's not why Christians believe what they believe. At least if they're following what the Word of God says, it's, that's not why we believe what we believe. But we lift up Jesus because everything that He says is true. Everything we read of Him here in our Bibles happened. We aren't merely trying to make ourselves feel better about ourselves. But we are hearing and believing that which is utterly, completely, and truly true. And that cannot be said of the philosophers today, of other religions today, of you creating your own meaning for yourself today. But this is truly true. His testimony is truly true. So you see how in these verses, they come and they take it up a notch. John, he said, he must increase, but I must Decrease will hear the centrality of Jesus is made all the more evident. He is held up as supreme. It will not do to lift up any other word above the word of God. All of it either points forward to Jesus or directly testifies about Jesus. So if you're a Christian then, you are beholden to this book, the Bible. Jesus is true. God is true. His word is true. He is no liar. So there is to be no area of our lives that is held with a clenched fist saying, well, I know the Bible says this, but I'm going to do this. Our hands and our lives need to be opened to the word of God and saying, whatever this book says, whatever it calls me to do, it's not it that must change. It is me that must change. And if I am wrong, and the Bible is saying something other than what I think, that means I'm wrong. That doesn't mean that the Bible needs to be adjusted. And so, all of our lives are to be examined and transformed by Christ and His Word. And so part of your decreasing is His Word increasing in you and in your life. And honestly, that is a fruit of the Spirit. That is not from Galatians, fruit of the Spirit, but it is an outflow of the Spirit's work in your life. You get in the Word more. I mean, just think, we, we began this sermon talking about the me-centered messages and what happens if you, as a believer, remain in that kind of context. You don't get in the Word of God regularly. What do you think is going to happen? It's going to become more and more about you. 
in every area of life. And so we have a choice before us. Either we will continually direct ourselves to the world and their messages, and like passively, not reflectively and engagingly and actively, but instead, or we can go to the Word and go to the God-centered Word that directs us to God to live to Him, to glorify Him, to make much of Him. So part of your decreasing is His Word increasing in your life and in you. Second, when you listen to and believe in the Son, you presently have eternal life. Verse 36, it says, Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. That means if you know Christ this morning, right now, you have eternal life. You ever thought of it that way? That's what this verse is saying. It is certain. It is assured. You have it. You cannot lose it. And for those who say, you know, that it's possible to lose your salvation, I just... I just don't get that. I mean, not just, I mean, yes with this verse, but many verses as well. But then also on the side of just how incredibly hopeless that message is. Oh yeah, Christ can save you, but he can't really. If you make, you know, you go too far, well, guess what? You've lost your salvation. I mean, what kind of hopeful message is that? Jesus is able to save you, but he's not able to keep you? I mean, what? That's not what we see. You have eternal life. That's why he says later, no one will snatch them out of my Father's hand or out of my hand. Because you're his and you're his forever. No one will take that from you. But, third, when you listen to and believe in the Son, you will obey Him. So for some of you, you need to see the second part of this phrase. Verse 36. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life. I mean, was that unexpected? (laughs) I mean, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Okay, whoever does not believe in the Son does not have eternal life. That's not what he says. He says... Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life. Somewhere along the way, you know, preachers and churches, they began to miss the key truth that true faith, when it's true, changes you. You aren't listening and believing in the Son if you aren't following Him. True faith. It is not a perfect faith. So don't hear me say that. I'm not saying that. But it is a faith that follows Jesus. It obeys Jesus. Again, not perfectly. And so some of you need to ask, what sort of faith do I have? Is it 
the demon sort of faith that James talks about, even the believe that, uh, the demons believe and shudder, and they don't know God. It could be. That's the person who does not obey. They believe as if they know it's true, yet they don't know Him. Or is it a true faith that clings to and follows Christ until the very end, stumblings and sins and all? And that may sound like a contradiction to the verse, what I said before, He has eternal life. Well, the person who has eternal life will obey the Son. The Spirit of God is in them. They'll begin looking like Jesus, living for Jesus. They might sin and fall, but they'll repent. Unlike Saul, King Saul, who didn't repent, and like David, who did, King David, who repented after he had sinned against God with Bathsheba. And so, there will be a a life of following him. But what about this word believe? John uses this word again and again in the gospel. And perhaps, you know, you've heard me over these last few Sundays and Andrew's just saying, believe, believe, believe. There's a reason for that. It's because John uses that word. He says, believe. (laughs) Believe in the Son. He doesn't qualify it. And so that's right. But, we often think, and this is where the qualification for us comes in, we often think of believe in the way of like facts or doctrines. So, I believe this and this and this and this. So, I affirm them. But John means more than that with believe. Believe, and we've seen this, means wholly giving yourself over to Jesus Christ. It is what we see elsewhere and even here It is a turning from your sin and turning to Christ. But it's not just like, it's not just so you'll go to to heaven. It's not just so you'll stay out of hell. It is so you can have Jesus Himself. It's taking hold of Christ Himself. And that's where some will miss it, is they did it for the heaven or seeing family after I want to see my family after when I get to heaven I want to say hi to them and well that's not it's not no one's going to heaven because of those things it is only if you have trusted in Jesus Christ so this is what you are to do if you don't know Christ this morning you don't have eternal life right now God's wrath remains on you, even now, whoever you are. But this is what you are to do. You are to believe in the Son, and He will save you. He will give you eternal life right now. Incredible. And so, I urge you, if you don't know Him this morning... Turn from yourself and turn to Christ. And friend, what joy, what life, what freedom there is in Him increasing and in us decreasing. So may we gladly lift up the name that is indeed above every 
name. Let him be exalted in us, in his church, in his world, and in his saints, gladly lifting up not our names, but his. May Jesus increase and we decrease. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word. This word should have challenged every one of us this morning. I know it has challenged me this week. It's challenging me now. Father, we we need to be about your glory. And when we do that, it's not because you have not promised us good things, like you're keeping something from us. It's because in Christ, we have everything. In him is fullness of joy. Through him is fullness of joy. So Father, we pray, help us, Lord, even as we've seen, help us to make much of Christ in us, in our church and churches. May you do a work. And Father, we pray that you would do a work in America and help, indeed, the gospel to increase and help his church to increase it by making much of Christ everywhere and anywhere. So help us, Father. Give us grace, give us wisdom, and help us to do it. Help us to obey and apply your word, Lord. I pray, Father, right now as well for any here who have heard this and they've realized they do not know you. May they even now not turn inwardly, but turn to you. Turn to Christ that they may be saved. So, Father, we ask that you would help us to respond as we have one final song to sing and may we respond to your word and not leave this time without saying I need to bring one, even one thing to bear upon my life from this. Maybe more, but at least one thing. And so help us, Father. May you lead us for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.